0: Welcome to the special edition in the With Ingram series of podcasts. Today it's lunch with Ingram, and I'm having lunch with Darren Stanton, the human lie detector. Warning, you might actually learn something. Right, I'm sitting in um, Birmingham New Street Station in uh, the Vietnamese restaurant Po. um, And it's a lunch with Ingram today, and I've got an absolutely fantastic character um, who's going to tell us about some of the stuff that he does. His name's Darren Stanton. Now, for those who haven't heard who Darren Stanton is, he's actually known better as the Human Lie Detector. Darren, um, welcome to Lunch with Ingram. Uh, It's been enjoyable.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me, Philip. It's been been a great look so far.
0: Now, um, you're you're billed as the Human Lie Detector. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background. How have you got here?
1: Sure. Well, I studied psychology at university, so I became a psychologist... Spent a little bit of time in the prison service and kind of got to the point where I wasn't really enjoying it anymore, and in a total u-turn, I ended up joining the police service. so I was a response police officer um, for about 17 years in Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire in the UK, um, just literally you know interviewing suspects, attending emergency calls, but at the same time still maintained that passion for psychology and you know what really made people tick, so I continued to do my studies. And then back in sort of 2010, I was presented with a sort of number of opportunities in the media, um, which which caused me to end up leaving the police.
0: Now those opportunities have you commenting on whether some of the famous people that are out there are telling the truth or not? Um, Before I get on to some of the reveals that you have, how do you tell if someone's lying?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, principally, there's no device and no technique to tell if someone's lying. So you know, things like polygraph or other techniques. The way that we actually determine this is through really the outward signals the body gives off, which we call leakage. So it's not a very nice word. So we're looking for emotional shifts in somebody. So if someone's kind of, you know, speaking from memory, telling the truth and not feeling very stressed, you know, a lot of what we call baseline behavior, so breathing, sweating, where they look with their eyes, um, sort of physiology, so You know, are their lips maintaining a sort of a constant blood flow? Are all these things constant? And yes, they will be in someone that's been honest. Now, we all tell lies every day. So, for example, you know, Christmas time, birthday, some other occasion, we may be given a gift or may give a gift. And, you know, to avoid social awkwardness, if we're asked if we love that present, even though we hate it, we're probably going to say, no, we, you know, we're not going to say, no, we hate it. We'll say, we'll love it. Thank you. Because we don't want to seem ungrateful and we don't want to hurt that person's feelings. But the kind of stuff that I come into is to do with the security or assessing public figures like politicians. Because when people are telling a big lie, and there's a big consequence in that person's mind, a lot of things change in their emotions. Um, And we call this um, detection apprehension. So when the person perceives that they're under threat of being discovered, lots of these um, basic baselines go a little bit haywire.
0: Now, that's looking at sort of the behavioural pieces on it. Um, Do you also look at the way people say things, the phraseology, the linguistic side of how people are responding as well?
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, the famous case with Bill Clinton, for example, where it said, you know, I didn't have relations with that woman. Now, someone that was being honest would name her. Um, It's the way people tend to use pronouns as well, like I and we. So by saying that woman, it's an attempt to create distance between the two of them. And again, we saw it recently in a Prince Andrew interview where, you know, when he was asked about whether he was aware of certain things, he said we we weren't aware of that. And again, that is again what we call distancing language, which, which led me to believe that that was incongruent with someone being truthful.
0: No, you brought Prince Andrew up, um, and we've just had the general election with so many political statements out there, and we've got the impeachment of Trump that um, is going through Congress and stuff at the moment. Um, This must be sort of manna from heaven, almost, for someone with uh, your talents, uh, and you must be called on all the time. What are are the real bits of gossip that you can tell us about what you've seen in the last few weeks?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Prince Andrew was quite a big story. I was um, asked by sort of all the world's media to assess the Prince Andrew interview. And again, you know, my conclusion was that this is somebody really whose, whose performance was totally incongruent with somebody that's, uh, <laughs> that's telling the truth, really. So, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't too convinced about that, that interview. And again, um, you know, sort of in the UK, politician-wise, um, I mean, again, Corbyn, not saying was lying outright, right, but there's, there's a lot of inconsistencies in, in a number of what, what some of the major politicians do. So sometimes they're under pressure to present information to the media, very quickly, and and you know there was one particular politician in the UK um, a few years ago that used to lick his lips and would take a step back from the podium, um, and that and that is really saying. Although I've just told you this information, I have absolutely zero confidence in what I've just told you. So you know um, that was David Cameron. Um, so so yes, there's uh, a number of te- so even though politicians, you know, people tend to believe that they're trained to a very high standard. Because they're, they're still human beings, they've still got the same physiology and neurology as, as you and I and everyone else. So even though they're very well trained, they can't sort of suppress um, uh, the unconscious kind of processes, which um, is a place where a lot of these signals come from.
0: Now, you mentioned trained. Um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of discussion as to whether the polygraph, the, the um, lie detection machine, sure. is um, people can be trained to bluff yeah. their way through that. Yeah. Um, do you think they can and do you think that people can actually be trained to try and avoid uh, people like you being able to read them properly um, and have you come across any characters like that?
1: Yeah again it's a great question um, well, well the answer is that generally these sorts of techniques are about 80% accurate and now polygraph examiners would argue polygraph can be up to 99% accurate now a polygraph very quickly is operating on three channels So it's measuring um, what's called galvanic skin response. So your sweat, your pulse, and your breathing. And the idea is that when we're under pressure and we're lying, our heart rate's gonna race, we're gonna sweat, and our pulse is gonna go up. But there's something in psychology called a false positive where a totally innocent person, you know, because they're so um, afraid, really, of being accused, The, the mere suggestion that they've done something wrong causes this kind of anxiety. So again, that's why even the techniques that I do and a polygraph are not admissible in law because it's not very much not a science. Um, It's coming down, although you're using measurable things to come to a conclusion, you know, they they, they do know that um, an innocent person can come over as being deceptive. Now in terms of being able to trick the system, yes you can. The first kind of level of people that are able to trick these sorts of things are people that are sort of sociopaths. So if they tend to believe their own reality so if they can convince themselves time and time again you know that this is a reality then they would give off the signal so that they say the mind and body are linked so whatever we think about that's what's going to come out so yes you know I'm quite sure the people that um, there's a system called visual motor rehearsal so if we know we're going to a situation where we're going to be interrogated or interviewed or put under pressure if we imagine that situation over and over again maybe a few hundred times When we come to be in that situation for real, as far as the brain's concerned, it won't be in there for the first time, it will be in there for the hundredth time. So if we've cultivated a very positive outcome in terms of how we want to convey ourselves, then that person will come over as completely credible and and therefore beat the system.
0: That, that's interesting. Um, now, as a country, we seem to be obsessed with reality TV. Sure. Um, you must, again, get an awful lot of work trying to assess all the different reality TV that's going on. H- how much of it is real and how much of it is put on and plays the cameras?
1: Yeah. Again, you know, I've assessed things like Love Islands, um the Celebrity Big Brother, uh, TOW, you know, The Only Way is Essex, things like that. So in my opinion, a lot of it is staged. So you might have two individuals that maybe have got a slight disagreement or a slight problem with each other, and what the production companies will tend to do, I think, is they will play them off each other. So they'll place them into an environment where, you know, maybe maybe they've been drinking or whatever, but they'll get into a situation where they're either being told how to portray themselves, or they're being placed really sort of almost entrapment. They're being placed in a situation where they can't do anything else than kick off. So I think a lot of the reality TV, in my opinion, is staged and rehearsed.
0: No, that's interesting to know and justifies me not watching any of it at all because I find it completely and utterly tediously boring um, why you'd want to watch anyone going around the normal life that's been staged and put on I'd, I'd never yeah. know but there, there's, a, there's a much more serious side to the skill sets that you do um, there's one where you you, you you can go out and help uh, people from a security perspective from an HR perspective sure. and anything else can you, can you tell the listeners a little bit about um, that that serious side yeah, and, sure. and where real value can be added
1: yes yeah, so obviously being ex police you know I'm still very much one of my core values is still very much about um, applying these in, in a serious setting so one of the things that the, 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 the body gives off is a thing called microexpressions. now micro-expressions are fleeting flashes of emotion that last about a fifth of a, sec- fifth of a second so unless you're kind of trained in this you won't see it now the way they work is there's only seven basic laws of human expression so for example there's happiness there's sadness, there's anger surprise, fear, contempt and disgust so, if you've got a situation where maybe you're interviewing somebody, um, you know, maybe at a checkpoint or the airport or as a police officer or law enforcement, if they're kind of overtly trying to convey that they're very happy and, and quite relaxed, but then we see the flash of an expression of fear, then we have to ask ourselves, you know, why is this person trying to suppress, you know, the emotion of fear? So it's it, it allows the officer or the person investigating to kind of dig a little bit deeper because you know generally there's an incongruity there likewise with the emotion of anger you know if you've got police officers on the street and again we're living in the midst now where knife crime is very rife if an officer sees someone that's about to or sees the emergence of anger as a micro-expression that one or two second heads up can be the difference that makes the difference between you know being stabbed or not So there's a very direct application and again likewise at airport checkpoints things like that I and mean, I'm in discussions at the moment with, with obviously working alongside security at airports um, so um, border force have obviously been massively increased of late with the uh, the abolition of landing cards for example so people have been scrutinised a lot more these days and I think anything that can enhance the, the training that they already get um, in order to um, you know discover if these people are smuggling or involved in terrorism I think anything like that is, is a good thing.
0: Now these skills are teaching you to read people, surely they've got an application as well when it comes to looking at big HR tasks um, and um, helping people who are involved in marketing and things like that.
1: Sure, so in terms of recruitment I've done quite a lot to do with the recruitment and HR so recent research suggests that 20%, so one in five job applicants for the high paying jobs op um, prepared not just to lie a little bit about the CV because, you know, in the past, I'm sure, you know, people are honest with themselves. Everyone's kind of fudged the CV a little bit. Um, but with the high-paying jobs for companies, because competition's so fierce and it's all about minimising risk, so certainly if you've got listeners that are in HR, we all know that it's quite easy to appoint somebody, not so easy to dismiss them unless they commit a blatant sort of gross misconduct. So I will sit in... For example, I did um, a job a few months ago for you know, kind of a major bank um, in the city in London and it was down to maybe two or three candidates, almost like The Apprentice in a way. And this one particular candidate was, was great, except there was a portion in the interview where I saw a number of um, what I call red flags, which are incongruities with his baseline behaviour. And it was about this project that he did at the previous job. Now, after the interview and the candidate had left, I sort of told the interviewers about this, what I'd seen. And I said, you really need to go to town on that that, that betting on that portion of the interview. So it transpired a few months later when they actually came back to me. Um, He'd not only not done that project, (laughs) he'd actually never worked at the place he said he worked at. So they came back and said, who? (laughs) We've never heard of him. So, but he came over as being so plausible. And again, these are not a replacement for sort of HR Processes and vetting, it's just really meant as the the cherry on the cake, really. So, um, what I do is I either go in as a consultant, as a silent observer, or I will go in and I will train up um, HR people. I do a one day masterclass in deception detection. So, we've taken people with maybe 15% accuracy rates up to maybe sort of 80% accuracy in the course of a one day's training.
0: Now, I've been fortunate to see some of the presentations and stuff that you've given. I haven't been through one of your masterclasses, but um, a lot of the presentations you give, you you draw the crowds in. There's a real entertainment factor to it. Um, Do you do um, things from an entertaining perspective for wider corporate events and all the rest of it?
1: Yeah, sure. So the the corporate speaking is quite a big part of, of the work that I do, but also I use the kind of psychological principles behind deception detection and influence and persuasion that I train. So, you know, for example, I will train up companies in terms of influence and persuasion in terms of like rapport building with customers, asking certain questions and being able to find out the hot buttons that the customers have to buy. So I take that into kind of like a fun, entertaining setting. And so I'll get people on stage and we'll look at, you know, their poker tells and we'll get the audience engaged. You know, it's kind of a real fun evening. So I do that for like an hour for corporate events and that, that, they all sort of go down very well.
0: Darren, on that note, remind me never to play poker again, um, Sir. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much indeed.
1: Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care.